Salam and hello. Welcome to Uproot. My name is Lily Bagetta Piper and thank you for joining me today. On today's show, I am happy to welcome Sipi Chada, the writer, director, and producer of the feature film Subira. Subira is a film that tells the story of a young Muslim woman who is determined to learn how to swim despite the cultural norms that surround her. It is a compelling and moving Kenyan story that has universal appeal. And it was just announced that Subira is Kenya's official entry to the 2019 Academy Awards. Welcome Sipi Chada, writer and director of Subira, to Uproot. Thank you so much, Lily. Thank you. It's an honor to be here on your show. Well, I am delighted that you made time. Uh, listener Sippy is actually in New York at the moment and getting ready to fly out to California. She's been very busy promoting the film and having many conversations about Subira and and all that it represents. So let's just go right in, Sippy. I'm, I've given the listeners a little bit of your background, um, but how do you introduce yourself when you meet somebody new? Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I would say I'm a writer-director. The reason I'm a producer is because the industry is very young in Kenya and I have to, you know, step up the game and produce. But uh, yeah. I'm essentially a writer, director and, of course, a mother and a wife. Of course. I love that you add those in, too. <laughs> All important parts of your identity. It's true. So for those who haven't seen the film yet, tell us just, I know it's probably hard to, to say it in brief because it's a beautiful, complex film that weaves in many parts of Kenyan culture, uh, Muslim culture, relationships. I mean, it has so many things um, that are part of its main themes. Right. But tell us the storyline for those who have not yet seen the film. Um, I would say Subira is a young uh, girl coming of age story in a Muslim culture in Lamu where she has a simple dream of swimming in the ocean and how her culture doesn't allow it. And the main thing is that she has to find courage and inner strength to overcome this hurdle. And yet within the broader tradition, she gets to find her freedom. And I think um, when tradition doesn't evolve with time, it rests upon us to push the boundaries, you know, and have yeah. it evolve. Tradition is important, I think. But if it doesn't evolve and it's just kept in this, you know, like the 18th century, yet we're in the 21st century, it gets oppressive, you know. Yes, yes. So Sabira started off as one of the short films that you had written and directed. You'd written several other ones, Kibera Kid, 2007, Charcoal Traffic, 2008, TikTok in 2009. But then Subira ended up being the one that you expanded into a feature film. T tell us about that process and why Subira kind of rose to the top of the stories that you were telling and wanted to expand into a full-length film. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, actually, I was not the writer for Kibera Kid. I was a producer for Kibera Kid. Okay. That was my very first film that I learned on the job, you know. Mm. Nathan Collette had come in 2007. Um, you know, he was a USC uh, student of film and it was his thesis film. So I joined that project and became a producer just to learn the craft of filming. Um, Charcoal Traffic, again, was Nathan Collette's project, but I was a producer, similar way, just learning the ropes. My heart was always in Subira and TikTok was my first film, actually, from where I realized that I'm at least a filmmaker, you know. I was transitioning from finance to film. Then with Subira, yeah. Subira, I would just get up at 4 a.m. and pour my stories out. They were just <laughs> dying to come out, you know. 
filmmaker for the feature film actually because people always ask me because subira the short film became so successful in 2008 and people mm-hmm. were like no now what next and i said no no i mean the reason i've become a filmmaker is for subira the feature film not really the short film was just a way of testing waters and learning you know how yeah, i could yeah. execute that project so um that's how there are two so films subira yeah short film so we are feature film and tiktok as me as writer director producer and only okay. producer for kibera kid and charcoal traffic and thanks for that it's it's so good to acknowledge the work of of your colleagues in the industry so yes, i know absolutely. they'll they'll appreciate that too so let's talk about this because sibira the short film comes out in 2008 It is 2019 now. <laughs> so there's some time that lapses there. So I want to ask you two things. First, you know, what what was that leap like from finance to filmmaking and how did that happen? Yeah. And then secondly, you know, tell us about that gap in time between the short and the feature film and and what it took to get it to this point. So what happens is, you know, in 2008 it released and uh, what happened was that uh you have to do the whole film festival circuit and it really became a big film i didn't realize it went to cannes and it got distribution on tv and actually made money on that film and uh, so that took another 2 years you know it does the rounds and it gets distribution so now we're talking about 2010 and i then started writing um you know the feature film but it was a lot of catharsis for me so i did not take on professionals i haven't been to film school without learning the rules i just jumped in and started writing and it was really catharsis so i dropped the kids to their school they were very young then you know 8 yeah. years younger than what they are so 10 mm-hmm. and uh, 12 and uh, then i would just write but it took me so long and i just needed to because i went to boarding school at the age of 5 i felt imprisoned a lot of my subconscious was detoxing yeah. i should say and uh, so then uh, you see i always wanted a world release i wanted something beyond kenya mm. though of course a cinema for kenya is just perfect but just from my inside my bones were screaming and my soul was screaming for a world release for my voice to be heard on a world stage so for that i needed a world class script if you don't have a world class yeah. script you can't attract uh, team play- players from around the world so that's what took time so let let's let's revisit that um so you said it was cathartic for you to write this film why yeah you know what happened i was sent to boarding school at the age of 5 in india mm-hmm. and it was a british boarding school in india um all my life i was in boarding but you see it was full of rules and regulations and i came from a loving joint family where um there were no rules you know it was just mm. as a little child you could play freely you know yeah. so when i had my own family i came to kenya all that started to um show up in my life and in order for me to actualize my pain i took to script writing it was just i had no control over it the stories were just pouring wow. out of me you know for years i think i wrote just unstoppable i would get up at 4 in the morning you know it was just crazy mm-hmm. but i think uh, somewhere in there i started to heal and get validated especially when with subira's success and that's mm-hmm. when i took on a co-writer who is avibika mosia from denmark she's also okay. my co-producer and with mm. her i started to give the story a structure you know yeah so that's what took so long so you know 
it's it's quite beautiful. People use art in so many different ways. And for you, it sounds like art was, like you said, a part of your healing, a way to yeah. address some of the restrictions you felt growing up and the disjointed culture you had in school versus what you had at, at home in your family. Um, and Sabira picks up on that theme, you know, kind of pushing against the roles and the rules of culture. And in this right. case, of the Muslim culture. Did you grow up Muslim yourself? Was this a culture no, that's familiar no. to you? You didn't. No, no, okay. But you see, wow. I went when I went to Lamu, um, when I got here in 1997, mm -hmm. I think in 98, I just went for a trip to Lamu. My sister was visiting from India. Okay. And its landscape of no cars and narrow streets and the open drainage mm -hmm. was very similar to a town I grew up in Ludhiana in India. So it okay. just gripped me. Again, I was not conscious of it. It just gripped me. And then I felt that the ocean was so expansive, like the spirit, you know, is just there for us yeah. to tap into, but yeah. we're so ignorant of its existence even. Mm -hmm. And then the cage uh, that they were in, the buoy buoy, to me, symbolized the cage of conformity. So it was all symbolism, and that's what gripped me about Lamu, and I needed to shoot only there, though it was so expensive. You know, a flight was so much more cheaper to go to yeah. Mombasa, but I yeah. had to shoot in Lamu, you know. So all these things were just, I was addressing what was calling me from within, you know. Well, and I, as a, as a Kenyan resident and an East African, I really appreciated the time you took actually to tell the story here on the ground, that yeah. you captured the beauty of Lamu, the beauty of Nairobi, the complexity yeah. of these cities. I think so many times we see our country represented in other people's films in a very narrow way. And thank you. Thank you for showing that beautiful, <laughs> rich ancient you know cultures and, and history that that especially that is in in lamu um, yeah. and i think viewers can appreciate just the visual imagery and the visual story that you told by basing the film there oh, thank so you. and it sounds like you know you said you went there in 1997 so it sounds like the film was almost starting to write itself in yeah, you and your, your subconscious before you I realized it create, on paper yeah, you're so right yeah. i just had to create space for it you know for yeah, the exactly. all the script to pour out yeah, mm -hmm. true. So how? So it sounds, but you spent all these years in finance. So what gave you the courage to then create space to make that transition from something you predictable see? and steady to creating art? Yeah. So what happened was that after a while in finance, my life was meaningless. I mean, whether the check came in, the paychecks, it just did not mean anything to me. Yeah. And uh, what was calling me was that I was getting up at four in the morning and mm -hmm. I was just writing. I just needed an empty paper. It was like um, things were beyond my control and yes. I would just write. And each time I looked at art as I was driving in Nairobi, whether it was a painting or a sculpture or anything, I would just get so emotional and it was pulling me, you know. And finally, mm. I got art therapy done from a friend. And I said, am I going crazy, you know? Wow. Because I'm a logical, rational finance person. And I'm being <laughs> called to this other world that I don't, yeah. don't know anything about. So when mm. we did the art therapy, she said, no, you have emotions choking you. And mm. uh, that's Look what the that. art therapy yeah. taught me. That was just emotions wow. built up. And I needed to actualize yeah. them through writing. But Later on, I explored it was just writing was not enough. I had to show them visually. So everybody watches my point of view. I think in the boarding school, my point of view as a child was not, um, I was not allowed to express my point of view. 
Yeah. So now as an adult, I wanted the whole world to watch my point of view. Yeah. Like I yeah. often say, yeah. if I had not made Subira, I would have got cancer with my mm. emotions not being actualized. You mm. know, that's how important yeah. and sacred wow. this film is to me. Well, and I hope people who are listening will will take your words to heart because you've said a few things that really hit on how um, central this feeling and this need was. You said at the beginning, you know, that your bones were screaming. So there seemed to be this really, I don't know, almost carnal need to express yourself. And and, and I think all of us are born with some of that. And it might be yeah. for to teach. It might be to, yeah. you know, to be a farmer, whatever it is. But we all have this thing that might pull at our soul and to have the courage and resources and time to do it. But, you know, this waking up at four in the morning thing, um, that's not for everyone. So <laughs> well true. done to do it, you know. And it reminds me, it makes me think of um, Toni Morrison, who wrote, um, the Bluest Eye, her first book when she was raising two young kids. And she talks about how she would wake up and write in the edges of the day. Have you ever heard right. that? No. She'd write, write in the edges of the day because that's all she had. She only had edges. Wow. Everything else was filled with kids and life and work. Wow. And and so yeah. that dedication to the to the edges has brought Subira to all of us. And, and we're grateful. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the choices you made in this film, because before I knew you and before I, you know, understood all of this about you as a person, when I saw Sabira's being promoted and the, the posters and the trailer, I was really struck by the casting choices you made. Um, for those who haven't seen it, it is basically, um, you know, a, a biracial love story of two Muslims, a young Kenyan, black Kenyan girl. Uh, who's played by Brenda Wairimu quite beautifully and, and powerfully. And she is in, married to her to her husband, who is played by Tarath Padam. Did I say that right? Yes, Tarath? absolutely, yes. Who is a South Asian Kenyan. And so you don't see that depiction of love quite often. We don't often see Muslims as the center of a story that's not about some other theme, you know, we don't often get to see a love story True. between Muslims. We see everything else, you know, we see other narratives about that community. And so tell me about your thought process in the casting and the choices to make these characters. You know, I don't know if that was intentional before you cast them or if it was in your script and originally, but tell um, me about some of those choices. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, so when I was writing, I was just writing from within what needed to be expressed without thinking who the cast would be. I actually mm -hmm. didn't even know who to cast. Yeah? yeah. I knew that they were brilliant actors in Kenya and, you know, actors I would definitely knew we had, but I did not know who would play the part of Subira or Tofik, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I tr stayed true to um, the process of writing. Because in itself, it's a whole process, you know. For me, of it took course. me four years, you know. Yeah. Okay, so then we stuck with that. And when the story was really strong and my co-writer said, you need to stop because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I need to keep going <laughs> on and on. And she said, no, 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 it's very strong. You need to stop here now. Mm. So then that was complete. And then we said, all right. So we hired uh, Robert Agengo and uh, Ken Ambani. We had two casting agents. Okay. And uh, so he, I said, I do not want an open call. That okay. means that you advertise it everywhere. Right. And then we have 200 to 300. I can't do that because mm. uh, then the creative process, you know, I'm a, you have to stay in the creative process. So that's yes. a lot of energy exhausting. So then um, he said, all right, close door. Then Brenda did exceptionally well, you know. And as you can see, she carried the film just tremendously. She like did. a world-class actress. 
Absolutely. Because of her performance, you know, mm, had it not been world absolutely. class, we wouldn't have reached here, you know. Absolutely. And she's been recognized a few times, winning a few awards for her performance yes. there. Kalasha, best actress, Kalasha, yeah. So well done to her, truly. She represented us well. So then when you go to cast um, Tariq, her, her husband in the film, yeah. who's not her husband at the beginning, that comes, you know, as the movie progresses. Yeah. Was that, again, sim- a similar process? It just ended up being the best actor. And then now you, you're here with a, a unique situation, quite frankly. If, I, if I'm the audience, I see that as unique. Yeah. So then you see what happened again when we um, did the close uh, audition. I was getting great actors, you know. So mm-hmm. then eventually, Tirith, I had heard, he had done some stage work, and my daughter had told me, Mommy, Tirith, no, actually, she told me later. He came in for an audition, and uh, he was very nervous and a soft guy. And the, anyway, Tofik's character is like that, you know. Yeah, so yeah. Thought, okay, he'll be great. Yeah, he didn't do some acting on screen ever earlier. But mm. I knew that the energy I have, I'll get the role out of him, you know. So again, he was yeah. asked to come from many times. And then I had them together, uh, you know. They seemed to yeah. match with age-wise as well. So it right, was right. like, you know, a hurdle. I came up across a hurdle. Also, as a director, I have to relate to the culture he's representing. And I thought, yeah. like, well, let him just be from India or Pakistan. At least I can connect with that culture and guide him, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's how, it's just hit and trial, you know. Well, and it's interesting because I think you touch on so many things in what you've said. I mean, we all know that within every every culture, there's the spectrum of, of color and representation. And this film represents that spectrum in Kenya. For the people who don't know Kenya, Kenya is racially very diverse um, country. And, and there are challenges as a result of that. I don't think any of us can be ignorant of that. And I think that's what struck me about your film, Sibi. I think in my experience of just living here, I don't see much overlap between some communities, some more yeah. than others. But this story, I'm just curious if you had any backlash from casting a black Kenyan no. actress and a, a South Asian no, actor as a In couple. fact, that's very interesting that you're bringing it hmm. up because uh, yeah. I haven't had it highlighted before. No. Really? How interesting. No. <laughs> okay. Because that, that really struck me as, because forget films. If I just look at uh, uh, culture and society, like going out for yeah. dinner and noticing my own social circles, I don't see that combination often. And yeah. um, and there are many things that, of course, um, it's, yeah, just my observation, but I think also historically those communities have shared a space, but not always um, yeah, intermarried or intermingled Very to true. the depth in which in this film they really do. So tell me again about the Muslim culture. I mean, that's a delicate thing to navigate, to portray a it's culture true. that you are, yourself are not a member of. Did you bring in folks to help kind of guide that depiction? No. So, you know, your question is so pertinent and very, very important. So I knew that I was making a film of a Muslim society. I knew mm-hmm. it was going to be a release beyond Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would, because it was so topical and it still is topical, especially the veiled woman, so many issues, you know, um, that I had to be really sure of what part of Islam was I portraying, you know? Absolutely. And then I decided that I'm going to, and so it was very consciously written, you know, even mm-hmm. if she has a dream of swimming in the ocean, there's a mother who wants her to cook and clean and stay in that little box. Right. I had to honor her as much as, so I had to honor the mother as much as I had to honor the daughter Mm. for being the rebellious one, you know? Yeah. And I did not want to judge any of them because, not because I'm from outside the culture, 
just as a filmmaker, as a mature filmmaker, I was just going to say things as they were, you know? Yeah. Second of all, I knew that the Western audiences are going to have their take on it. Like I'm going now to the Mill Valley Festival tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're really intrigued by it. I mean, they've got, I think, yeah. eight screenings there. And wow. each one Q&A. And I know it's because they're intrigued by the culture, you know, and I'm also in school, the educational trainings and all kinds of stuff, uh, educational screenings in the schools. Okay. Wow. Uh, Interesting. Q&A is following because they are intrigued. So what I yeah. feel is that um, I wanted to stay on the side of Islam. Hmm. I had made that decision very early after thinking and contemplating. And um, because Islam requires their women to be veiled, in the Muslim culture, in Lamu, because in right. other societies in India, a lot of them are liberalists. So I wasn't right, telling that right. story. My story mm -hmm. was from Lamu. In that culture, they wanted the women veiled. So I was going to stay on the side of them. It was a conscious choice. So, for example, um, even in the trailer, there is a part where the mother is veiling the girl. Right. I told um, my cinematographer, I said, that scene cannot be dark when she's veiled. Her face has to have light shone on it. And that was just a subconscious decision. I mean, the subconscious image. And it's one of the most beautiful film scenes in the film where she's smiling because actually in their culture, they in Lamu are very happy to look like their mothers because that also means that they're adults, they have some more rights. So right. she's smiling, the veil is lowered on her face and there is, we shone a light from above. And all mm. these messages have integrated and hence we are representing um, the film at the Oscars for Kenya, you know? It's because yes. of these very pertinent decisions that we've taken, which are mature. We're not bashing the culture. We're not making it wrong. We're simply right. saying what it is, you know? Well, and I think that's why, again, as, as myself also, as, as somebody who's not an, a Muslim, you know, opportunities like this, like a film like this, like you said, are opportunities to learn. And so it's a heavy responsibility then as a filmmaker yes. to portray something. And it's interesting because you said you know, these screenings are have an educational component to it. So clearly other people are also learning. And yeah. what we say and what we teach is so important. And it's important that, you know, we are... Uh, giving voice, I think, to communities that are often marginalized, especially in Hollywood, to certain depictions. Um, how important was it for you, Sippy, to have a film? Because you you had touch points in many places. You're, you're Indian, raised in India. You spent time in Canada. You came to Kenya over 20 years ago. You could have written a film in a lot of different ways with a lot of different actors or different storylines. Was it important to you to have Black and Brown people represented in your film? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you see, it had to stay uh, true to its, um, true to the bone, so to speak, you know. Mm. So if I'm shooting a film in Lamo, could I really have gone for a Bollywood actor? I couldn't have, you know. Yeah. yeah. I had to stay with the people on the ground there, you know. For example, um, Nice Githenji, who plays the mother, mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't have... I mean, things had started to break up in the audition process or when we were about to shoot, things were going wrong in Lamu. So we had to make a quick call to get the mother in. So Nice Githenji, who's done such a fantastic job, was a last minute thing. We were on the plane flying from Nairobi to Lamu <laughs> and I had to call, are you available? Because the mother who was based in uh, Mombasa, who was actually auditioned and practiced and rehearsed for the mother's wow. role, could not wow. be available. She was already on another show. So when Nice came, landed, I said, we're not shooting her for two days. She walks around Lamu streets and sees how the people walk. They walk in a very slow manner, you know, 
it's an island mm-hmm. and it's yeah. always sunny and in the afternoons they sleep and they don't sit with the straight backs they yeah. sit in a different way you know and their clothes mm-hmm. are not fitted they're kaftans you know so it's a very different uh, so that kind of attention to detail for me was very important because it's you're being in integrity to your characters the more in integrity we have the further the film will fly because you know integrity is important i think so that's why Absolutely. i had to use also kenyan actors you know uh, brenda herself comes from mombasa so and i told her i said you need to put on your mombasa accent mm-hmm. in swahili yeah you know yeah yeah because there's a nuance in the language too yeah kenya's like every country diverse from east to west and north to south we have you know 44 tribes in this country so every everyone unique and and special and so having that specific coastal swahili feel um yeah it's an important feature of the film it's almost another character in your film is the yes, swahili absolutely. culture you know absolutely <laughs> it's another absolutely. cast member you know so let's listen to a clip from the trailer in the bit we're about to hear subira has moved to nairobi with her husband tariq and the tension in their marriage continues to build because she's pursuing her dream of learning how to swim it's clear that subira is really wrestling with her identity and eventually she comes to a very important conclusion let's listen Like Nairobi. In Nairobi, our day starts early. You wake up before your husband so that you can make him chai. Where did you just start? The burkini. Burkini. Ever since I was five, every time I went to the water, it did something magical to me. Strong spirit. Enthusiastic. I like that. Please just stop. Stop who? Stop her. You've been far too liberal with her. What did you think? You thought that no one would find out? The boat has held a deep secret for me. I am who I am. Wow, Sophia, I love listening to that trailer. So, tell me, what was the reaction to the film here in Nairobi? So when we released the trailer people just loved it you know and i heard from everywhere i am who i am i mean i would just hear it you know in conversations and so i thought oh and and just to say something it. that's a part of the film that's a, an important part of the film is that that <laughs> phrase right yes yes yeah. so you were hearing that on the in conversations people were quoting your trailer which the people yeah. hadn't even seen the film but they were quoting just that phrase yeah yeah and then people wanted to come for the premiere and then when we picked up the kalasha it was all new to me i mean it was so overwhelming when we got the maximum number of awards it was just new to me the best director the best you know this competition this huge competition you know and best um, actress and all of that so it's been overwhelming even in nairobi and um, then of course at the premiere we sold out to three cinema halls we had rented for our premiere and we could have actually rented two more because we had so much demand yeah. for our premiere and then i knew that we were sitting on a hit also before that i think we had a press um, screening i think even uh, it had after somewhere before the premiere we had the press screening and i was sitting with my cast uh, we were like nine of us on a you know just below them the press and uh, i could see them you know reacting to all the beats you know or the right beats and laughing yeah. at the right time and you know so yeah. when they said they stood up and they clapped it was a standing ovation i looked at my cast and i said we have a hit 
that was the first time the reality hit home you know wow. so it's just been wow. overwhelming yeah yeah of course it's so, just been overwhelming really and so let's let's talk about why the the response has been so positive i think there are a lot of um, relationships in this film even though it centers around this marriage relationship to me the film seems to really start with sabira's relationship with her father which you really yeah. depicted in a very tender way. She wants to learn how to swim and he makes her a promise early on because as you mentioned they're in Lamu, they're on the coast, they're on the water and the water seems to call her and he makes her a promise, you know, yes, I'll teach you how to dive even. Yeah. But first you have to learn how to swim. So tell me what informed that father-daughter relationship. Why was it so important for you to make it a, a tender one? <laughs> Because I think it comes from my own life. I think my uh, father is a uh, actually doesn't speak much you know he's like this highly introverted yet such an um, big visionary for his daughters he has two daughters yeah. mm -hmm. and he was not you know hankering for a son and his daughters were like his sons you know all that we grew up like that but at the same time he's remained very silent in the journey and then at the age of 5 i go to boarding school so i don't have access to him anymore um yet whenever i interact with him it's always like you know mera sher putter means my um daughter like a tigress daughter you know mm, and that so, was his nickname for you <laughs> my sher putter sher is a tiger and putter is a son you know so oh, like my tiger yeah. son you you like that <laughs> and great. i think both me and my sister are like that we don't see ourselves as any different from men you know um so in the film when i was writing the story what came to me was that he, but he always believed in my greatness he just knows even now the oscar he goes i for one minute didn't doubt that you would get it you know you're just like that you make things happen of course not i mean it's been a huge a very hard working uh, process for me but he so holds that space for my greatness he always has you know well and to to build on that um you mentioned it already but there's a line in there and it's in your trailer quite quite prominently you are meant for greater things there just there's just so much happening in this film i mean we you know the, the love story the the religious culture and then you have this this phrase you are meant for greater things and i've seen you added it. it's become like a hashtag to the film and and seems to be really important to you yeah. is this a feminist message is it a what what did you want to communicate by making those words that her father speaks to her so central and even how you market subira as a film why, why is that yeah. phrase important you see because um so the mother very clearly wants her in a box right and that's the role of traditionalists to have it safe and secure these are the boundaries you stay within them and you flourish there is that's the role of tradition to keep you in line yeah so that's fine but i feel that we are meant i feel that we are meant for greater things meaning we are meant to actualize our potential in this world to the highest order you know whatever it may mean for you lily it's podcasts of inspirational people to me it's world release films to somebody mm -hmm. else it's writing to my husband's it's he's doing his business and you know hiring people and impacting their lives whatever it is you know it's very unique but i think the unique self expression must be found and actualized and when i say so the hashtag you know you are meant for greater things or i'm meant i needed to resonate with people in whichever way you know it can yeah and it's good to kind of i guess like you said give it a, a practical context because that greater thing is not necessarily like you said a world feature film uh but a greater thing it seems to be a, a 
a challenge or an opportunity to reflect on what makes you unique, what makes you you, yes. like you said, yes, that yes, thing absolutely. in you that was screaming from your bones was <laughs> to write this film and to be a filmmaker. And so, gosh, it, yeah, if all of us could find that thing um, and then have the opportunity to pursue it, which which you have done so powerfully for this film, you know, what is next for you? What do you see around the corner? Yeah, I see a second feature film. Actually, I've written the first uh, draft, a two-page synopsis. It wow. is a story uh, of a husband and wife, and it's a bit dysfunctional. And how do you, um, how do they find harmony with each other? And if they do, so it's, uh, it's just, mm. you know, as soon as I had the producer of my first film, this was, again, like two, three years ago, the story just came from within me and I started writing it. And I thought, while it's coming, I may as well take note. Absolutely. And, yeah. Wow. So it'll come. The nuances will come. I want it to be a really yeah. uh, strong and dynamic film as well. You know, for me, what inspires me is what I look around and I see that there's something missing in society. And how can we find solutions and mm -hmm. put it out there, you know? Yeah, so yeah. that's very inspirational for me. So it's like um, my second career as a life coach. So I look into write a script and if it can in some way help others. But the first purpose, of course, of film is to entertain, you know, it's not to be preachy Absolutely. at all. Absolutely. So if I can have these two going, that's very fulfilling for me, you know? Well, and... To, speaking of fulfillment, you know, you've come to this point of success that's very public success and it's now globally um, being, you know, validated and, and, and lauded. But this is not, you are a mother, you, you've got two grown kids, like you said, it took you time to get to this point. Yes. Does success or at least... And, and maybe, well, let's start with this. What, what would you define as success? Because I don't want to assume that now that a global audience sees your work, it's successful. You know, maybe for no, you, success absolutely. was earlier on in the journey. But yes. but how do you define success? And what does it feel like kind of not in the beginning of your career, but maybe, you know, in the middle of it, that you're hitting this really important milestone? Right. So, you see, for me, I really believe as a woman, I want to have it all. So I want to have my husband. I want to have harmony with him. I mm -hmm. want to have two stable children who follow their own life's journeys, you know, while I can be yes. a mentor to them and then mm -hmm. have a good set of friends, you know, with similar values. And then, of course, if you can do and actualize your calling, that would be really good, you know. For me as a woman, I want to have that. And I guess that is success. And when you are happy in what you're doing and you have to, like, you know, I am in my mid fifties now, I'm not no 20 year old. So there is uh, maturity, but then there is also physical stamina. You have to choose what projects you're doing, <laughs> right. you know, and where you're spending yes. your time. What time do you go to bed though? Cause you were waking up before at 4am to write. Do you have to wake up at four still, or can you wake up like at six? <laughs> and no, I'm no longer waking up at four. It was only then, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> now right. I switch off the phone and I'm writing, I think from 10 o'clock to one o'clock like that <laughs> so still late but at least better better <laughs> <laughs> it's true yeah uh, so so you, what I hear you saying is um wanting it all but uh you know as they say maybe not all at the same time that you've had to no you know exactly. this, this, this investment in time in the film um it took exactly. time so for so me it had to be the arranged marriage with my husband then the mm -hmm. kids came along and because my family is not here in Nairobi mm -hmm. I had to mm -hmm. raise them you know so I was very hands-on uh raising them uh, which I also enjoyed uh, because yeah. also that's my value that I raise them myself you know and give right. them the 
spiritual values and all which they're going to yeah. need in this very Western and ever-changing dynamic world. So mm-hmm. I did that. And as soon as they were teenagers and well on their way to college and high school, um, then my career took off. But you see, I feel like I've just landed on my career, yeah. you know, like yeah. um, when you're gliding for so long and you're learning how to glide and you're somersaulting and, you know, it's been a rough ride in rough weather. Mm-hmm. I actually just mm-hmm. feel that I've just landed on the ground with a solid foundation and I know what the turbulent weathers out there are about. That's how I feel, actually. Mm. So it's been a bumpy ride, but one that certainly has has is landing well now. And we look forward to the next ride and the next story that will come from from that ride. And and tell me, you know, you mentioned your arranged marriage. Um, and at the beginning of the interview, we started talking about how traditions have to evolve. And you talked yeah. about how there's a place for that, but maybe yeah. some traditions need to evolve. What, what's your thought about arranged marriage now in 2019? And, and does it have a role in our modern society? So I think, so what I think is, yes, I think in our culture anyway, I think it definitely has a role as long as you give them a longer period, you know, the both the couple involved, a longer period to know each other. So um, in my case, we only had like 15 days and there was pressure on both sides. That's just the terms wow. of an arranged marriage. But I mm-hmm. think now to redefine it, if the people in question, the girl and the boy, are introduced, all right? And then they have a longer time period to know each other, you know? So I think it's a very um, positive thing because what you look at is the parents, you look at the parents on both sides. And a lot of things and the similarities and the rules are slightly different. You don't have too many expectations or uh, no history or baggage, you know? And then within a time span when both of them feel a little little ready and then there's a bit of nudge from the parents, you dive in and then you take it from there, you know. So so there is a place. What what do your kids think about it? Do do they share your similar kind of open? One does and one doesn't, but I can't (laughs) tell you which one does and which one doesn't. Fair enough, fair (laughs) enough. Because, you know, of course, from my perspective, somebody who's outside of your culture also, I just think, what? How can that be? (laughs) Even though in Ethiopian culture, there is certainly a time and place for uh, something similar to arranged marriages, but it just seems so impossible for me. So it's, it's really fascinating you and find a place for it and at the same time raise kids who might have different feelings about it and allow for both of those to exist and and in this film um sippy which character do you resonate with most who in this film is really you know captures maybe some of that tension that there is between subira totally subira she's she's me i'm subira totally yeah i don't give up easily and i want to have it all and I can give somebody a very rough time if I choose to. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, I hope by now everybody is just so eager if they haven't seen the film to see it yet. So will there be opportunities for us to see it here in Nairobi? Yes, or yes, yes. When will be our next chance? Will, tell, yeah. us how, tell us how we will be able to see Subira, you know, either here or elsewhere in the world. What's the timeline for? Um, uh, I know that in Hamburg, in Germany, it is the opening film at the African Film Festival on 7th of oh. November, and most likely I will be there for that. Uh, it's yes. playing at the Mill Valley uh, Raphael Theatre on uh, 6th of October, 6 p.m., uh, October 9th. Also, it's showing at 2.30 
at Mill Valley at the Raphael Theater. Uh, in Nairobi, definitely we'll have one um, at one of the theaters, you know, Westgate or Prestige yeah. or uh, yeah. Angus, okay. one of them. Once I get back, we'll definitely tie up with that. And, you know, um, the CS for culture, mm-hmm. uh, what's her name? Amina Muhammad has yes. also said that she'd love to come and be the chief guest, you know. Fantastic. And will we, will um, folks who are elsewhere in the world, will there be a uh, streaming release or somewhere where they can legally so Africa, enjoy it? Lily, in Africa, <laughs> we are um, most likely to be on Netflix very soon. Okay. All right. Yeah. And uh, worldwide, I mean, we have U.S. distribution, so it'll mm-hmm. definitely open to cinemas um, in the U.S. I have a mm-hmm. Facebook page called Subira Feature Film. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's a we'll red. Link, we'll link to that in the podcast so folks yellow can Oscar. So we keep posting our screenings over there, you know. Great, great. We'll, we'll share that with our listeners so that they can follow along and, and try and catch it as soon as possible. So last question, Sippy. I know you're busy now and we've, I've taken up a good bit of your time already, but <laughs> okay. what, what would this Oscar mean to you if you won this best foreign film? What would that oh mean to you? Oh, my God. For me, it would uh, really mean um, that for me, I make films to serve humanity. If I win the Oscar on behalf of Kenya, this would really mean that I have a larger platform to serve humanity, to really speak from my heart, you know? That's beautiful. Wow. Wow. I don't think that often we think of films as a service to humanity, but when you dig, when you dignify a culture, when you make space for voices that are often neglected, when you tell a beautiful story that captures a culture, you absolutely do serve humanity. Um, Thank you, Sippy, for that. Thank you for Subira. Thanks for spending your time with me. Um, It's been a, a real joy to talk to you. An absolute pleasure, Lily. The pleasure was mine. Thank you so much for reaching out. Many thanks to my new friend Sipi Chada for sharing her story with us here on Uproot. Friends, I have linked more information to Subira in the bio of this show. You can find out more about the screenings and where you can catch the latest updates through their Facebook page. So check them out. As always, I hope you'll follow me on Twitter at Uproot and Lil. And on Facebook and Instagram, it's at Uproot the Podcast. And as Wangari Mathai has taught us, you have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. And maybe if you're willing to get up at 4 a.m. and put in the hard work, that thing that you're working on will become a feature film. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.